Hello and welcome to the Outdoor Knoxville Insider Podcast. I'm John Becker, joined by Executive Director of Legacy Parks, Carol Evans as well. This podcast is brought to you by the Legacy Parks Foundation. Hey, Carol. Hey, John. Great, great to be here with all of you. Just a reminder, you can find a lot more about Legacy Parks Foundation at LegacyParks.org or visit www.OutdoorKnoxville.com. We're also on social media, very active there. Lots of upcoming events that are going on in the Knoxville area to highlight the Legacy Parks Foundation. We have a Hoppy Hour event again on August 27th at Sunspot on the Roof. It is a fantastic environment, great people, and a great place to enjoy some Happy Hour specials, free tacos, all supporting Legacy Parks. And we hope you'll join us for that fun event. And Carol, you have a little bit more about the guest we're talking to today. Yeah, we're, we're really thrilled to have today Kim Trevathan. He's a local nature writer, professor of writing at Maryville College, but Kim paddled the entire length of the Tennessee River by canoe twice. He first paddled down the river in 1998, and then in 2018, he finished a 652-mile trip paddling up the Tennessee River. So today he's going to share his stories from both tracks, and we'll discuss the importance of the beautiful Tennessee River and how it benefits all of us here in the region. He's also a dog lover, so we'll get along swimmingly. Enjoy. <laughs> Welcome to the Knoxville Outdoor Insider Podcast. We are so pleased to have with us a true waterman. This is Kim Trevathan. He is a professor at Maryville College. He's an author. And yes, indeed, he spends a lot of time in the water when he's not on the tennis court. Uh, Kim, uh, you, you were gracious enough to join us. We appreciate it. Um, let's just start with your love of the water. What is it about being on the water in a canoe or a kayak, or whatever vessel you choose, that gets your blood going? I really love the peace of being on the water, of, of powering yourself with your own muscles uh, and not having a motor. Uh, I think it's low impact and it, uh, it you get a real sense of adventure and it kind of ties you in historically with the first people who explored this area and of course the native people who were already here, here as well. Um, and I, I just love that uh, sense of being able to see what's around the, the bend uh, and, and and using your own using your own muscles to to, um, to power yourself so it's good exercise and it also gives you a good sense of peace and you're able to get really close to wildlife I think without if you're interested in photography you can you can you can take pictures of wildlife I think in ways that you might not be able to and you know something that's making noise uh, you can fish uh, or you can just do nothing you know you can just float so uh, those are all really good reasons to, to be getting out. Absolutely. Boat. And talk about somebody who's been in the rhythm of the river. It's, it's you. Uh, for people who don't know this, uh, you've written three books really on river travel. One of your first in 1998, you took your dog Jasper, who sadly is no longer with us, but he was an awesome travel companion as you went down the full length of the, the Tennessee River. Uh, tell us what got you interested in in that adventure and then we'll talk about some secret spots that you say people should definitely go to. Okay, I, I first got interested in that. I, I moved to Knoxville. I'm, I'm not a native of Knoxville, but I moved to Knoxville um, in, the early, in the early 90s and I, I, I rented a place near the Little River and started 
thinking about the connections that I have to the, to the water and to the rivers around here. I grew up in Murray, Kentucky, which is at the lower end of the Tennessee River. So I started thinking, well, I could take a canoe trip from here back home. <laughs> and that would make an interesting trip. Who else has done that before? And of course, people have done it before, but nobody had written about it. And so I, I, just, I just started, you know, getting interested in, in the river and wanting to educate people about uh, the river as a continuous body of water. It's got nine dams on it now. So people think of it as Fort Loudon Lake and, and uh, Watts Bar Lake and so on, Kentucky Lake. So I, I just got really interested in taking this long, slow trip uh, back home to Murray, Kentucky, where I grew up on Kentucky Lake, uh, on into the, uh, to, to Paducah and the Ohio River, and just thought of it as a book project that I pitched to the University of Tennessee Press. And uh, I had a corporate job where I worked in a cubicle, so it was partly an escape from that. And they were gracious enough to give me a couple months off to do the trip as well. 652 miles, I think, is what the, what the length of it is. How long did it take you? The first trip, the downstream trip, took uh, six weeks. And you also profiled some people along the way, river pilots, um, and some of the Native American sites that are, are really uh, extraordinary in their own sense. Um, what was the feeling like? There is a rhythm to the travel. How would you describe that for people who think about going on an adventure like that? Yeah, it's, it's uh, I, I figured out, recently I took, took a trip uh, in, 2000, in 2018, but I, I kind of figured out that every few years I need to do a trip like this. And you really get out of the rhythm of the normal work-a-day world going to work every day and the fast pace of cell phones and 24-hour news, uh, news, uh, cable news and all that, and television. And you really get into the, riv the rhythm of the river itself and uh, it really slows things down for you and puts you in a different mindset entirely. Um, so I really treasure that and I think it, it, it does you some good to be able to, to take that extended time out in nature, if you can do that, you know, it's possible to do it. You also went upriver, but I, I want to, we'll talk about that in a minute, but I, I, I want to talk about just for our, our insiders looking for a little tidbit of knowledge from you on places they should check out. Are, are there a couple that pop out to you that are easily accessible around the Knoxville area? Yeah, um, I really, I'm, I'm from Blount County from uh, Maryville, so, uh, but, but this is pretty close to, to Knoxville as well. Uh, I really enjoy going on the Little Tennessee River uh, system, uh, which will be Teleco Lake and Shilhawi Lake and Calderwood going going upstream. Uh, there's a place on Shilhawi Lake uh, where you can access Abrams Creek and you can paddle up Abrams Creek into the national park, uh, and that, that's a really that's a really beautiful beautiful paddle that you rarely see motorboats on and you know high bluffs coming up on both sides i had a friend who said he saw a bobcat there i've never seen a bobcat there but <laughs> but I've, all, I've been looking for one and so lots of wildlife there and pretty good fishing as well and are you mostly in a canoe or are you in a in a kayak these days or what's your mode i've got a canoe an old town uh, discovery 158 which is there's a model of it right behind us here uh, i've also got a, a wreck kayak uh, recreational boat 
uh, a dagger black water and I've got a paddle board. So uh, usually I take the kayak out just because it's lighter and easier to handle. If I'm taking my dog Maggie with me, I'll take the canoe. Or if I'm canoe camping, I'll, I'll take the, you know, take the canoe. So. And uh, how far in advance might you spend if you're taking a day trip versus a three-day trip? What, what are the differences in those if you're taking a paddle trip to camp somewhere? Um, I think uh, paddle trips uh, depend largely upon uh, logistics and you want to determine where you're going to camp and how far you want to go and things like current. Are you going against the current or with the current or are you going to do a shuttle? Those kinds of things. So I was just talking a minute ago to somebody else uh, that works here about uh, good paddle trips around here if you want to do a canoe camping uh, paddle trip. and. Uh, this is a little bit outside Knoxville, but below Chattanooga, there's, there are really good campsites that have been organized by the Tennessee River uh, Tennessee, Tennessee River Gorge Trust, uh, public campsites. So, so just determining where you're going to camp and, and how far you want to go, when you want to come back, those, those things are all really important and what you're going to pack in terms of food. Well, let's talk about supplies. So if you're out for uh, one day, and then we'll talk about multi-day. But if you're out for one day, what are you chucking in there? Well, you need some water. Uh, you need plenty of water or, or something something to drink. And uh, uh, snacks are good because you're going to be using up calories. Uh, a PFD, you want to make sure you got a, a flotation device, of course. Uh, for a one-day trip, uh, you don't need to worry too much about a, a, a breakdown paddle. But... Uh, you want to make sure you got a paddle that works. And That's you a beer casualty. If anybody's <laughs> it's and it's not mine. <laughs> uh, so uh, if you're taking your dog, you you know what some you want some dog treats to, to calm him or her down. If, if there's anything if there's anything that uh, excites the dog that you want to distract her from. Do you think people overpack for multi-day trips, or are there some essentials for that that you think? people often leave out. You know, the cool thing about uh, canoes is you can overpack, uh, and I don't have a problem with that at all. <laughs> I, I bought this uh, I bought this uh, sleeping pad called a Super Paco pad, and it's like polyurethane, and it takes up a lot of room, but I put it behind me in the seat, and it worked great as a backrest, but it took up a whole lot of room. So you really don't have to worry about that so much in a canoe. Now, if, you're, if, you're, if you're tripping in a, in a kayak, there's there's a little more concern about that. And yeah, Paco pads not going to fit. Those are those are uh, I think they were made famous by the the paddlers in the Colorado and the, yeah. in the canyon. That's right. Uh, because they're such a great piece of uh, gear. Yeah. Uh, how about uh, you? You often take your dog, and mm -hmm. you did take Jasper all the way down um, uh, the entire length of the Tennessee. What's it like to train a dog? Or how did you find it was to train a dog to, to join you on the water? I'm not sure I'm the, I'm the best one to ask that question because <laughs> uh, I, I have many challenges with uh, my current dog, Maggie. I took her on the Tennessee River going upstream uh, in 2018, and she was a 10-month-old puppy, puppy. So that, was, that offered some challenges. And as a puppy, she was 65 pounds, too. So she outweighed Jasper by about 15 pounds. And Jasper was six years old and one of those genius canine geniuses, very calm, very perceptive, and Maggie was not there yet. Very excitable, 
uh, I would say she she's a, aggressively um, gregarious. <laughs> so people would ask me, well, what's she bite? And I said, well, no, but she may lick you to death. Uh-huh. So she likes to embrace people and, and love on them. So I, I think the best, the most important thing is just get dogs accustomed to the boat and to the water. Um, you can buy a life jacket for a dog, and I don't think that's a bad idea. If you're on flat water on a big lake, it's not a bad idea at all. Uh, just just getting them out as, as soon as possible. Maggie, Maggie, I took her out when she was a couple months old, you know, and she, and she, she loved it. She was great in the boat, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, with, with a couple of exceptions. Uh, well, that's right, exceptions. <laughs> uh, when, when people are first starting out paddling, it can be a little bit intimidating because uh, Canoe is one thing, and kayaks another. Is there is there one that you re- recommend newcomers to paddling start out in that will give them some confidence? Yeah, you know, I don't have this kind of boat. I've never gotten one, uh, but the sit on tops seem to be uh, an easy way to start. I mean, there's it's no big deal if you turn them over. And uh, that's a kayak that you can just a kayak, yeah. literally sit on top. You're not in it. Exactly, um, and so they're easy to get in and out and. Like I said, if you turn them over, you can easily get back in them, um, and I, th- I think that's probably what I would start with. You can pack some gear as well on those. You can. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and I want to talk a little bit about your your travel upstream. Um, what what was the idea behind? Hey, I'm gonna I paddle <laughs> down this river. Let's paddle up it. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, a lot of people were asking me that before I started this. <laughs> they said, well, why didn't you do the upstream when you were 20 years younger and, uh, and, and do the downstream now? But it didn't occur to me at the time. So I did, I did the downstream in 98. And uh, in 2018, there was 20 years had gone by. So I thought, well, that's an interesting number. Uh, I would turn 60 on the river. So that number worked out as well. And I really wanted to see how the river had changed in 20 years and how I had changed. Plus, I wanted to see how going upstream would make a difference. I had no idea if the lock masters, the lock operators would let me come through going upstream. Because in a lock, they're flushing water up into the lock and it creates a lot more turbulence than going downstream. And so I didn't know if they would let me do that. Um, And I didn't know if I could make it. (laughs) At 60. There were, all, there were lots of variables. There were lots of variables, uh, which which made it an in, interesting thing for me. So let's start with the locks, because that's key. You've got to get either you portage or you get through. Mm. So do you just wave at them, and you're out in the middle of the river, and you're kind of saying, hey, what's happening? Or do you call ahead, or how is that done? <clears throat> here's, how, here's where the technology comes in. <laughs> I did take a cell phone, and technology was did play a part in this trip. Um, and in the 98 trip as well uh, so yeah you call them and uh, I had a sort of a rehearsed line hey I'm in a canoe going upstream is it possible to lock me through so you know I was tentative about it but it didn't want to act like I was assuming they would lock me through and it worked every time every time every time we had to uh, Kentucky was was the toughest one because they were so busy and we had to wait a couple hours there and had to lock through at night and I think they rushed us a little bit because at the very end it was really turbulent lots of whirlpools going on around it it's a little nerve-wracking especially in the dark Maggie was calm it was it was uh, and uh, so so we made it through that one Uh, Pickwick was the second one 
and that's the one where Maggie chose to jump out of the boat inside the lock. Um, she was the lock operator came over to, to talk to us and he leaned over the wall and Maggie thinking that he wanted to embrace her jumped out put her paws on the wall pushed the boat out fell on the water and started swimming out the gate they were in the process of opening the gate into Pickwick Lake I called her I called her I called her and finally after about 10 minutes she came back and she had this life jacket on with handles she was 65 pounds so I had to pull her into the boat and all these guys, there was like six or seven lock operators out there watching us, corporate engineers guys watched us. I was so embarrassed. They're still telling that story. <laughs> <laughs> she has never swam. I mean, she gets in the water, but she won't fully immerse herself. That really traumatized her. So that, that part was sad. Wow. Um, so you, you uh, did you find, I'm very curious about the differences 20 years uh, out uh, in the in the sort of the river the landscape what were the do any differences stand out you know I was expecting to see a lot more than I did um, I was looking for uh, more development and, and there was more um, especially I would say on the on the upper part of the river on Watts Bar and uh, Fort Loudon I saw you know houses going up or people renovating things so a little more development but nothing that really stood out um, the river was no more polluted than it was before. I saw large-scale pollution and saw a refrigerator at one point on, on Gunnersville. Uh, Gunnersville was the worst one for the sort of exotic, uh, sort of large-scale litter. Uh, and Wilson was probably the worst one in terms of, of litter being washed up in the coves. But not, a, not really that much worse in terms of being polluted. Uh, I, I did um, have some contact with the, the Tennessee River Keepers, which is now in Decatur, and they are definitely policing uh, sort of corporate pollution of the river and keeping an eye on that, and that is still occurring for sure. There was a guy who swam the river, as you know, uh, the summer before I did it, and they found a very, very, very high level of plasticity in the water. So that's that's really the, the main concern right Those now. Those microplastics are there, and mm -hmm. it's the challenge is keeping them out. Yeah, and how they got there, the source. Um, it, it sounds like, how did it change your perspective personally? You know, uh, I think the biggest thing was the time of year I went. Mm -hmm. uh, going in the spring versus late summer, uh, the, the, the river was much less populated by, with pleasure boaters, mainly what I saw was bass fishermen and people working on the river. So it was a whole different vibe. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think in 20 years there, there have been a lot more paddlers on the river. So in general, it was a more congenial trip. Uh, still had some issues with um, cabin cruisers. Uh, couple times where uh, there was one time on Kentucky Lake where two cabin cruisers came uh, around a bend maybe 50 yards apart two of them about half throttle you know which I don't know about wakes but I think that's where their maximum weight comes in <laughs> I was next to a rock wall and so when they went past uh, First I had to jump their wakes, and then I had to turn around and jump the wake that bounced off the wall. So two of those in a row. And uh, that was a, started out as a real peaceful day that turned into panic <laughs> for a while. But we did not turn over. And again, Maggie was great in the boat, so. Wow. 
Good for Maggie. I know. I know. She was great in the boat. She ran off a few times on the shore. Uh, but in the boat, she was ideal. Again, it presents some challenges traveling with a pup. <laughs> Good and bad. Exactly. Um, and your, your writing has been described as a travel writer or a, sort of an outdoor writer. Um, how would you describe your, you teach uh, fiction writing. Mm -hmm. um, how would you describe your writing? Yeah, I teach fiction writing and nonfiction writing. And uh, my books, my books, of course, I do write fiction, but my books are nonfiction. And uh, I, I, I think uh, that I'm a combination of a nature writer. I mean, I'm, I really uh, like to write about uh, the wildlife that I see, and I'm very interested in conservation issues and and the issue of paddling a river uh, and, and leaving as little impact as possible, camping along, along it. Um, and, uh, but I'm also a travel writer, so I'm really interested in the people that I meet and in, in the history of a place. Uh, the history of the Tennessee River is fascinating and, and taking a trip down it by, by paddling it really gives you opportunities to delve into Civil War, uh, first uh, European ex explorations and, and before that, with the Native American use of the, of the river. We know sure. just above Knoxville is where the Tennessee is, is formed with the Holston and the French Broad. Um, from that point to, let's say, down to uh, the first dam, is there a section that if somebody really wants to experience uh, uh, that sense of history, but also a connection to the river, you'd say, hey, go here, paddle for a day, and you'll get a real good, good sense of it. I think on Fort Loudon, I think we're really sitting not too far from it. The sweet uh, spot. The sweet spot. I, I think putting in at Iams, or there's a also put on put in on Dickinson Island, and paddling uh, through downtown Knoxville is really is really an interesting paddle. Uh, you can go up Third Creek. Uh, you may see some things you don't want to see there, but that's part of urban paddling. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and I think it's been cleaned up uh, to, to an extent uh, in, in the past, but, uh, but I think just right around here is really, is really interesting. Uh, it's revealing in the sense, too, you talk about Third Creek, where we have Second and First Creek mm -hmm. that also spill in there. And speaking of your perspective, you're talking about taking pictures of wildlife in a way that you just can't uh, typically. It also seems we observe what we're doing as human beings throwing away things and how we're treating the river, river system by passing those tributaries. Yeah. Um, did you find that was true? Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I participate in river cleanups, Little River in Blount County and Tennessee River. I've, I've done that a lot. And, you know, you want to pick up things that are in the river, uh, large scale, small scale. Uh, but I, I admit a fascination with uh, what's, what's been uh, discarded at rivers. Uh, there's some crazy stuff that you see. And, uh, and I think it does say a lot about us as a culture. And, and it's, it's just interesting to, to see it and witness it. And also to see wildlife that, that's still there. You know, we want to clean it up again, but at the same time, even in an urban paddle, you'll see great blue heron, uh, of course, fish, uh, all kinds of all kinds of waterfowl, fowl, as well as uh, things like otters, raccoons, stuff like that on the bank. 
Kim, it's been a great conversation. I really appreciate your window into, into paddling the Tennessee. Your books are five-star rated on Amazon. What's the best way for people if they want to explore your work to get there? Um, Amazon is a good place to look, uh, and that's, that's probably the most convenient place. Uh, I think that uh, Union Avenue has, has some of them, as, as, uh, as, well, as well as Barnes & Noble. So any of those places are, are good places to look. Well, Kim, thanks for the time, and, and I hope to see you on the water soon. Thanks. Thanks, John. Appreciate it.